Hi, this is Doug Kay, the co-host of All About the Gear, and you're listening to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photo is provided by the CashFly Content Delivery Network. Send your web content blazingly fast with CashFly. And now, pay as you go. Start with two terabytes free by going to C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com and use the promo code TWIP. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by the brand new TWIP School. You can check it out at school.thisweekinphoto.com. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Vietnam. Come join me this November as we tour Vietnam from north to south. Check out the details at twip.pro slash Vietnam. This is TWIP, episode 467, The Joy of Failure. Whether it be celebrities, athletes, politicians, or your neighbor with the hot car, we typically see the side of people that they want us to see, their successes. When in reality, the reason many successful people seem to have it all is because they have failed more than anyone else. But the distinguishing factor is that after each failure, they learn from it and try again and again and again. Unsuccessful people tend to give up when many times success is just around the corner. In this episode, Dave Dugdale and Iberian X Perillo join me to discuss the joy of failure and they provide some tips on how you can be more effective as a photographer and as a human. It's Monday, May 30th, 2016, and this is TWIP. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. We've got uh, a couple of interesting stories to discuss on the show this week, and to do so, I'm joined by Mr. Barian X. Perillo from The Candid Frame and Dave Dugdale from LearningVideo.com. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. Hey, I haven't spoken to either of you guys in forever. Dave, let's start with you, man. You, when we first met, I got to call you out, when we first met, your site was called Learning DSLR Video. That, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I don't own any more DSLRs. So, yes. Yes. Oh, I, nice. Nice. So, you trimmed it to learning video. Cool. Yeah. I had to drop the DSLR part, which, you know, many people are like, what? What? You know, for the most, the common person that does, it's not into photography, you, you say DSLR, like your, you know, not only your web address, but your email. You're, they'll be like, well, what? D, what? What? Say it again. Yeah. Like, so, I, I did a search and it was, that domain was available. So, I, it cost a little bit, so, it, but oh. it was, it's been totally worth it. It would cost like I don't know, it was like over a thousand dollars, but to me, it was worth every penny because I don't have to say the DSLR part anymore. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Good, and it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Just hit, hit me up at learningvideo.com. Done. Yeah. yeah. Well, cool. Welcome back, man. Hey, thanks. Barry Next Perillo also hasn't been on the show in quite a while. Down there, cranking away on the candid frame. What's going on, sir? Hey, man, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just enjoying the three-day holiday weekend. And I'm soaking up part of your holiday weekend because we record this. It's Memorial Day. (laughs) I don't mind this. It just guarantees that I'm settled in for the evening. There you go. There you go. You got your glass of wine over there? Oh, I had two beers today. Uh, (laughs) See, every every time I hear your voice, it feels like you should have like a smoking jacket on and a glass of wine. (laughs) Yeah, well, Well, I'm working on the chair at least. (laughs) there you go yeah like mystery science theater you know (laughs) very cool welcome to the show man it's good to have you back on again all right guys let's jump into jump into the stories uh story number one 
I think we could, like we were talking about before I started recording, we could probably fill the entire show with this topic. But it was a story that came to us from F Stoppers, and it was about the top photographers revealing their most valuable mistakes. And we'll link to it, obviously, in the show notes. So I won't go through it, but there's photographers um, that were highlighted included Joel Grimes, Lindsay Adler, uh, Laura Jade, Aaron Nace from Flern. You know, these people kind of spilling their guts about and, and revealing that even though they may appear to be these sterling, flawless successes, that the road to success isn't necessarily paved with, uh, you know, mistake-free adventures. So Baron X Perillo, uh, you know I'm going to throw this at you, man. Like, on your road to becoming... A Barry and X Perillo, you know what? What are uh, what are some of the pitfalls that you hit or mistakes that you made? You know, I think I think the, my biggest issue was being preoccupied with making mistakes, being constantly fearful of screwing up to the point of paralysis. I think that was my, I think that was the bigger problem. The mistakes, you know, though I often regretted them happening, um, inevitably they led me to learn something. But I would just berate myself for for making mistakes and I would be so preoccupied with the possibility of making a mistake. And that, that, that really, I think was more hurtful than the mistakes I actually made. Yeah, yeah. All the yeah, mistakes yeah, yeah. I made were, you, you always recover from it. You learn from it. You learn to make different choices, but it's what I did to myself mentally over all those mistakes that did the most damage. Yeah. I, I have to agree with that. And, and for me, exactly the same thing but it's like the the more successful quote that you get it seems like the more you're you second guess things that you're going to do because you don't you know you want to appear to be you want to keep that facade of success going if i do this thing and it fails then people may see that i'm actually human and that, that can't <laughs> dave what about you you what are, what are some of the mistakes that you've hit on well i mean you got to separate my type of stuff that I do because one hand I do some paid work, some client work, and I make mistakes on that end. And then also I make mistakes on like my YouTube channel, which is kind of totally different. And in that, and on the YouTube part of it, I'm very humble. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to make mistakes and uh, you're here, watch me make a mistake. So it's very different for me. But like like my, one of the last videos I did a couple, maybe a month ago, I, I was comparing 8-bit video cameras to 10-bit video cameras. Um, and I don't really think I really made a ton of mistakes. The biggest mistake I made is more the way I presented it. I, put, I added too many variables. There was too many cameras involved. There was too many, you know, um, tests that I was showing. Um, so in that case, you know, it's really easy for me to learn that I did make a mistake because the comments, you know, it's not mm -hmm. like your client's going to come back to you and say, you screwed up, you know, my face looks totally the wrong color or something like that. Or I don't know, or like, you know, the, my skin tones are all wrong or whatever, right. or something yeah. like that. Your client's yeah. not going to say that, but with YouTube, it's like, they'll let you have it, you know, especially with like downvotes, you know, like I see like more normally, like I'll get like 4% downvotes on a, any typical video that I've done over the last, I don't know, 10 years or so. It's usually about 4% and I'll get 96% up, which is good. But on this last video, I don't know, I was like at 12% downvotes and the comments that were coming in were like, all right, all right, I screwed up, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I introduced, introduced too many variables into that test and yes. 
So it for me, it's very different. You know, they got the YouTube side, and and I've definitely made mistakes on the the client side as well. Yes, yeah, so the world the world of social media is. Yeah, they'll definitely self-correct you and and overcorrect, right? <laughs> Especially on YouTube, they will definitely tell you whatever is on their mind, even if it's unsolicited. But in the in the world of other things, like you know, say podcasting or you know, shooting photography or you know, even things like as you grow your career and you decide, hey, I want to start doing more public speaking, you know, or things like that. The moves that are necessary, sometimes we get hit with that analysis paralysis of, like Marion X, you were saying, like, oh, I'm going to overthink this and let me think about all these different permutations of what might go wrong. And then you never actually execute. And then you feel bad because you didn't execute. Right? So it's a it's a lose lose. So Marion X, how do you how do you how do you get beyond that? I mean, because we talk about it like it's trivial, but it's a real thing. You know, people hit it every day of I know that I should do this. And everyone else is kind of saying that I should do this, but they don't do it for because of fear. What's how do you get how do you bust you know, through, that? through that? I'm 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 wired for perpetual anxiety. You know, I tell people <laughs> that I, I tell people that I roll out of bed crazy. I mean my <laughs> my, my head's already got the voices going on, right? Yeah. So I, I start my morning by uh, doing some reading, some meditation, and some writing, you know, just so I can get a sort of a, a, a good foundation for the start of my day. I mean, that stuff is always there. Sometimes it's worse than others, but I find that if I take the time to start my day that way, um, it, helps, it helps me to have a perspective about what I'm feeling. Because sometimes my anxiety level is really, really high, and I... Uh, and it just pervades my entire day. And there are other times where the anxiety level is much less. But regardless of where I'm at, it's like an acknowledgement of that of the fact that those feelings are there and that I don't necessarily have to allow them to sort of interrupt what I need to do. And then what I just have is I have my I have my, my to do list and I allocate a certain amount of time to different things each day. And it's just about doing that thing that's right in front of me. And it's just like, okay, I need to, you know, start researching for my next guest or I have to write for the blog post or whatever it is. It's like, okay, let me just focus on this one, on this one thing right in front of me and not be trying to do too many things at the same time. Cause once I start getting preoccupied with all the things that I have to get accomplished today, and then I think that I'm not going to be able to get it all done, then I get all worked up and it's like, okay, no, 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 I can't do everything at the same time anyway. So let me just focus on this, this one thing and try to do it to the best of my ability and try not to rush it. Because my anxiety will tend to make me rush, which results in me making mistakes. Yep. And then you feel bad and rinse and repeat. And right. So if I can get yeah. that nice equilibrium in my head, I can get through the day. I'll still make mistakes, but at least by the end of the day, even if I haven't taken care of all the things I've set out to do, I'll have a certain calmness about my day. And mm -hmm. that for me is, is success. Not so much that I was able to check off everything off my uh, to-do list. Yeah, yeah. For me, mistake-wise, I think the the uh, an ongoing thing that I'm constantly battling is is opportunity and being able to prioritize, say no, and execute on the things that I've said yes to, and you know, because there's a constant 
there's a constant influx of cool things that I could do, or, you know, whether it's business related or new photography technique or just trying out this feature that this camera can do that I haven't got. You know, there's all these different things that are like Pac-Manning away at my time that I need to like prioritize. And maybe that's it, you know, prioritization and, and execution because there's so much stuff that you can do and that can take your eye off the ball. Dave, do you, you see the same thing? Yeah, for me, it's, um, you know, I'll get started on something like I just finished my uh, course on the Sony a7S II and I, I get, I you know, I work on it, work on it. And then all of a sudden some opportunity will come up. Like somebody asked me to write a guest post uh, for something else. And I'm like, oh, that sounds like a great opportunity. It's like, oh, I'll just spend a little bit of time on it. And and then I do it and then something else happens. And then a week goes by and I'm not working on my course. And I'm like, ah, you know, it's it's that time management thing at, where it's hard to say no. And there's the creative side of me that like sees other things that are um, fun to play with and, and experiment with and test. And I'm like, I just want to go out and try it and where I should be working on other things to actually make money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's been these, you know, for years and years and years since the beginning of time, I would imagine there's been the idea of prioritization and task management, you know, and then with the David Allen's getting things done revolution and inbox zero with, you know, Merlin man, all these different things have come along that kind of help us move us in the right direction. Um, uh, but still, <laughs> still, with these tools, with great power comes great responsibility. With these tools, there's still this influx of stuff that keeps coming in. I try to keep my inbox relatively close to zero, but then you wake up in the morning and it's at 150 again, right? So it's it's like a constant churn. Dave, what, what are some of the tools that you use to help keep yourself on track, you know, software-wise? Uh, I don't have any, like, software tools for that, but usually, like, when I start... Like when I'm working on my course, I'll work for several hours and uh, just recording myself because I make lots of mistakes. I don't get things right on the first take. I usually have to work through it kind of thing because um, this course I just finished is six hours long. So sometimes I'll I'll record maybe two hours of content or two hours of me just sitting in the office. But then usually the only thing I have left is is maybe 20 minutes of editable content from the test that I've run. Yeah, it's that kind of, I, I'm terrible when it comes to. Yeah. But I mean, people I, only see that 20 minutes, so yeah. they think you're flawless, right? <laughs> yeah, for the courses I try to do it is flaws. I can, you know, trying to get rid of the ums and the so's and the that kind of stuff. Um, so it's much more clear and succinct. Um, and a lot of times I'll do it and then I'll watch it back. And I'm like, oh, no, it's just that I got to redo it kind of thing. So for me, it's, uh, I usually when I start recording, I, you know, I turn off my phone, I, you know, I close the email. And so none, no notifications are happening. And then I can, yeah, for those two or three hours, get it done, transfer the data. I usually go have lunch, come back, and then I start editing. And, uh, and then usually by that time, then I'll start looking at Twitter and get distracted from on other things quite easily after that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I hear that a lot from, from successful people that it's part of the, it seems obvious, but one of the tricks is to shut off everything. And like a Barry X was saying, focus on one thing, knock it out and move on to the next thing. And if you overlay that with your advice, Dave, like, you know, turn off everything, focus and, and, and move forward. I think that's that's sage advice. So Barry X, do you have uh, you have any tools that you use for like task management or l list management? 
You know, I've tried so many things. I've just kind of settled in to using um, the Google, um, mm -hmm. you know, using their reminder system and their calendar system. And by the way, you know you can tell a man's age by the fact he, if he refers to Google as the Google. The Google. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I use that there, the Google. I use the Google all the time. <laughs> and that internet. And that, that their internet, I'll use it to find stuff. <laughs> or, or talk to, or, or refer to the computer as my mother's does as the TV. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's a TV with a bunch of buttons in front of it. <laughs> um, no, in terms of just, just organizing, that's kind of what I've used. I tried a bunch of other things and I've just kind of settled in um, to, to, to using that. I think that, um, yeah, I use my, my phone. The fact that I'm able to sync my phone, my tablet, and my computer with Google Calendar and, the, and, and their, you know, the reminders list and all that stuff is there. Um, it's just great for me. Uh, and now that my wife is helping me now more with, with the show, we're all on the same page in terms of all of that. So when she, cause she's, she's handling uh, the booking of the show now. So she can see my calendar. She knows what windows are open for, for scheduling. And she contacts the, uh, the person who I'm going to interview. She puts it in my calendar. I see a notification come up. You know, she does, she does the research and she gives me all the links so I can read up. And it's, and you know, I don't, we don't have to actively be talking all the time. It's just like, we're just communicating over this, you know, this device. And that's just, that's great. That's remarkable. That's yeah, great. So now you, you have actively moved into the category of talent then, right? <laughs> <laughs> slowly, slowly, slowly moving to talent. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, you know, walk into a room and go to my wife. The talent's here. Yeah, exactly. Where are my green jelly beans? Right? <laughs> I don't know. You know, one of the things that, that that's coming clear is like is is the idea of process. Like on this week in photo behind the scenes, we manage everything using Trello. That's how we manage each individual show. Um, you know, there's Google Docs. Like we're we're sharing a Google Doc right now to to walk through the show notes. We use Slack for for communication between the various teams and the different shows and editing and all those guys. So that's our communications back end. So between Slack, Trello, and and Google and you know Hangouts, et cetera, and Zoom, we also use Zoom for video conferencing. Between those those tools, we're able to stay on top of things for the most part. And I've been using like personally for personal task management, it'll either be uh, Trello. You know, for for things like if I'm going on a trip, I'll organize everything in Trello, or I'll use an app on the Mac and uh, and on iOS called Wonderlist, which allows me to sort of it has kind of a gorgeous UI for managing tasks and attaching things and all that. So between those things, I have no excuse to not be organized <laughs> yet. <laughs> yet I'm still you know to some degree disorganized from time to time. And it's not only organization in terms of you know like the stuff we're talking about, like organization in terms of like when you're like for me, I do a lot of video. I'm not a photographer, so to speak, but when I do video, like when you're sitting down to do an interview with somebody like that, um, like I did an interview oh, a while back where I totally screwed it up in the fact that I thought, oh, we're gonna have an hour to do the interview. It'll be totally fine. She knows all our lines. It's not like I'm, you know, I'm basically, it was pre-planned, well-rehearsed. We were gonna meet, get it done. It should only take 15 minutes. She's gonna, all she has to say is like, you know, maybe 10 lines and that was about it. So she should have had memorized, but, um, 
it was one of those situations where I had kind of set up and then she, you know, she brought her daughter in and then her, and then she's, well, can we get a, a clip of my daughter walking down? We could use B roll. And I'm like, all right. And then that turns into 20 minutes. And all of a sudden I've got 40 minutes. And then I knew that I had to leave that room after 40 minutes. And it was like, you know, this is, this, and then I start getting stressed out, you know, and the last thing you want to do is the person that's asking the questions or prompting her to get her to say this stuff. And then she gets nervous and then, yeah, it just kind of all falls apart. So in terms of time management, you know, understanding like instead of an hour, I should have really gave myself like two hours, even though I thought I could knock it out in 15 minutes, that kind of thing. But that kind of, if you don't manage your time well, it can backfire on you, especially with the client. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that 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 and then that leads to stress. Like if I'm if I'm late for a meeting, you know, like I'm I have to be in San Francisco for a meeting and obviously when you're everyone knows the laws of physics, when you're driving someplace for a meeting, everyone that's slow in the world will get in front of you. Miraculously your bladder will fill up and you know it's just <laughs> It's just everything goes wrong, especially and the later you get, the the worse these these things happen. Uh, but you know, I've just found for my the way that my brain works, I I try to give at least a buffer of an hour to you know at least an hour or so, and then through the magic of technology, if I am an hour early or thirty minutes early, whatever. I can sit down with my phone or my iPad and chill and still get work done without having to worry about, you know, being late or being there right at the time and showing up with like sweaty armpits and all that because you're you're that guy. So, yeah, a little bit of time buffer goes a long way. So, all right, guys, well, let's let's leave this segment of Barry next parting parting shots for people, actionable things that they can do to get as organized as a Barry next Perillo without, you know, hiring your wife as a personal assistant. I mean, I think I've kind of covered the things that I do. I think that uh, the only thing that I would would touch on that we haven't talked about in terms of mistakes is is always working from a contract. No matter how small uh, you think the gig is, always work with some written agreement. It protects you and it protects them. And I learned that really early on. Um, but sometimes I've not followed my own advice when it came to that, and it always comes to bite me in the ass. So, um, you know, even even if you are not a, you know, a lawyer or anything, uh, just do your research, whether you're doing a commercial job for someone, a wedding, or headshots, whatever it is. You know, have an, a contract that has real clear expectations of what what the service is, when it's going to be delivered, what form it's going to take. Uh, including caveats like weather and, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, try to imagine all the possibilities of things that could go wrong and, and try to find some way of having that covered in, in the contract. Cause you know, um, cause it gives you less stuff to worry about. And if there is a disagreement, a lot of, you know, a lot of people are afraid to, you know, get people mad or hurt someone's feelings. You can always go, well, let's go back to the contract. And then all that emotional stuff gets put aside because it's like if it's covered by the contract, yep. we're good. And if it's you, not, you said we're gonna A, I'm doing A, right? Yeah. If you want me to stay another two hours in my contract, I say, well, it's going to cost you an additional amount of money if you want me to stay for two more hours. Do you want me to do that? Oh, oh, no, 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 no. I, I don't want to pay that. Let's just get it done now. It's if yeah. it's there, it completely diffuses things. So never, never, never. I know people are still going to do it. But let me be the bug in the ear to tell you never work without some sort of written agreement. 
Yeah, yeah, a friend of mine used to always say, "Good fences make good neighbors." Hey, that that's a uh, that's sage advice. Um, Mr. Dugdale, what about you? Any parting shots for actionable things that the TWIP Army can uh, can leverage as they go forward? Uh, no, not really. I mean, uh, for me, on my side of things, like I said before, I do a lot of YouTube videos. Um, for me, it's just being humble um, and knowing you're going to make mistakes and. And if you like, if you're doing YouTube videos, like the last thing you want to do is come off like a know-it-all and then quickly make a mistake into the know-it-all piece of content that you're creating. And then people will trample all over you. But if you preface it or even better yet, one of the things that I like to do is when I say the words, um, I'm not very good at this, or I'm not a professional, or this is not my bag. Usually I, what I'll do is instead of me saying it on camera, I'll put B-roll over on top of me showing something, hopefully what I think is good, you know? So there's that kind of um, offset between what I'm actually saying and what you're seeing. And sometimes what you see, especially since most of us are visual type people, you know, you might hear me saying in the background, but what I'm showing, it looks awesome maybe. And so maybe, I don't know, for me, being humble is the best way to do it because if you come off being too strong opinionated on certain things, then that's when you really start getting the, the nasty comments. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I, I think that's part of the allure of your your channel, which, by the way, congratulations. You're, I'm looking at 170,348 subscribers. Congrats <laughs> Thank on you. That. Um, but that's part of the lure of, of your channel is that you you do genuinely come off as relatable. And you're you're not elevating yourself and saying, hey, let me show you this stuff that even when you started, when we first started talking years ago, the, the kind of the ethos of your channel was I'm in this with you. We're going to learn DSLR video together. We're going to make mistakes together. I'm going to take you on this journey with me as I explore this thing that I'm interested in. Right. And I think that resonates with a lot of people. Yeah. And, I, you know, for me, when I do um, client work, I. I use that to a certain extent because you want the person, you know, if you're on the other side of the camera and you're the talent, I guess, and, I, you know, you want that person to be somewhat confident. You don't want them to be self-deprecating, you know, that kind of thing. So right. Um, right. I have to kind of turn that off when I do client work and, and not be too humble, I guess you could say. But Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if I'm thing. hiring you and paying you $30,000 to do a job, I don't want you showing exactly. up saying, yeah. I'm just kind of figuring this out. We're going to learn together. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's not going to work. Um, and I'm going to say, well, that's good. I'm going to pay you. I, uh, I, I'm figuring it out salary. <laughs> so let's cut that in eighths. <laughs> so, all right, guys, uh, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to talk about Adobe uh, and a new feature that they're going to be adding to Photoshop called Content Aware Crop. I'd like to formally invite you to check out the brand new TWIP School. You've learned so much from the amazing TWIP hosts and guests over the years. Now, within the TWIP School, you can continue that learning and dive deeper on a variety of photographic and business topics. There are already several great courses to choose from in the school, and we will be adding new courses often. Right now, you can learn about fashion photography from Lucas Passmore, Final Cut Pro 10 for photographers, and time lapse with Lee Herbert, marketing for photographers with Zach Prez, and even time travel for photographers with yours truly. And to kick things off, you can check out the school today with a course that we've made available for free for a limited time only. And that's Five Habits of Highly Effective Photographers. It's an inspirational course designed to help you get more done 
and stay focused. So head over to the brand new TWIP school now at school.thisweekinphoto.com. That's school.thisweekinphoto.com. All right, we guys, we are back. So Adobe's at it again, polishing up the monolith that is Adobe Photoshop that we all, most of us, you know, and I was going to say know and love, but a lot of people don't really love Photoshop lately. <laughs> Most people use it, but you know, I love Photoshop. But you know, as I say that, I know people are going to say, well, hey, I'm using all these different tools or whatever, which is totally fine. But Adobe's coming out with another release to Photoshop CC called Content Aware Crop. So, and we'll, we'll put this video in the, in the notes this little demo video that they they uh, they published, but essentially what it is, it is what it sounds like it is. When you rotate an image in Photoshop, you the the part of the image that extends beyond those the rectangle that is your crop turns white, and you know, and you lose that space in the image. So you end up with a smaller usable image area the more you crop. So what they've done is they've added their content aware technology to the cropping tool. So those areas that would ordinarily just be blank or that would shrink down, if you activate this feature, it will attempt to use its algorithm to fill that in with computer generated pixels. And from, you know, and I thought about it, I'm like, well, you know, let me see that. From the video, and again, I'm, I preface this saying that we haven't tried this yet, we've only seen the video, but from the video, it looks really, really cool. And I would imagine it'd probably work in a lot of situations, but not all situations, of course. Dave, have you, have you seen it? What do you think? Is this something you would use? Yeah, I would definitely. In fact, I was just using Photoshop this morning. Um, I There was a graduation this weekend, and I was taking some of the, the portraits. Um, and, and usually at the high school graduation, you know, you're going to have some acne or something like that. So I was doing a lot of content aware, I guess what it's called. I'm not a Photoshop genius, but I think it's called content aware fill or that type of thing where I just pick, and I'm not a retouching guru, but I use that a lot and it works. It's magic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just yeah. simply yeah. magic, especially magic when, Photoshop. you know, there's uh, those pixels nearby are very similar. Um, and in this case where they show an example of this little boy um, on the, the beach, um, that looks like it would be an easy one to do, but I could see if you have some sort of architecture, like a more horizontal and maybe vertical lines going on, um, and you try that, I'm sure it's not going to work every time kind of thing. So it might, but I would. It, I think it's a great starting point, and if it doesn't work, and it doesn't work right the first time, then you can go back to your old tricks on how to fill it up. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, I, any magical device Adobe can give me, I will take it because <laughs> that, that is fantastic. But yeah. I would think with like water or clouds, like, I think you're showing clouds right now and water, um, and those type of textures, I think it would do a pretty good job. I don't think it would do well in architecture though. Yeah, I think I'd agree with you. I think, I think things with high frequency kind of fractal patterns, I think it will do a good job on it, like which tends to be nature, you know, so nature type things, it will probably do well on like the rocks in this shot. And like you said, the sky, but when you get into, I think vertical lines and New York city architecture and that kind of thing, then it, you know, your results may vary. Very next. What about you, man? You, you see this feature? Is this something that you would employ in your day to day? I don't know if I would apply it my day to day. I think I would probably find occasionally um, a use for it, which is the way I approach most of the tools in in Photoshop and Lightroom. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, but it's kind of cool. The one with the with the boy there, that seemed like, like David was saying, a real easy one. When I saw the one with the waterfall, um, uh, I saw that they, the, the repeating, there was a, re, a repetition of the pattern. So it was really obvious that it had been added by a computer as if it had been cloned. You know how you, if you clone from a large area and you sort of copy it over, that very same pattern, you, you, you see it. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, you obviously know that it was photoshopped, and that seemed to have been the case with, with the second image that they used as as a demo. But with that being said, I'm sure there's a place for it. But you know, as soon as I saw it, I I already saw people with the torches and the pitchforks out. <laughs> you know, you know, going, oh, you know, get get it right in camera. Don't you know? People were just gonna have a fit over that, and it's just like, then don't use it. You know, it's 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 one of those things that. That it's going to be helpful for some people, uh, and it's not a and it's not a fix all or be all for for anything. It's just, hey, if you need it and it works for you, use it. It's another tool. It's another tool. Isn't it, isn't it interesting though? Like you, you hit it right in the head. How when change like this comes, and I can imagine, you know, having worked at Adobe, I can imagine the the work that the engineers and the scientists and they put into this to to get it, you know, to this level where they felt like it was ready to ship. And they push this thing out, and then you know the pitchforks and the and the torches come out, you know, for like, guys, we just gave you this amazing piece <laughs> of never before being able to do kind of algorithm, and you're mad about it, you know? It just, yeah. If you want to use it, use it. If not, don't use it. You know, why do you? Yeah, care? and if you can get it right in the camera, because I I have I have that issue with not being able to keep horizon lines horizontal. Mm-hmm. Even though it may look good to me, to my naked eye, for some reason, I cannot get it right. So I'm always having to, you know, fix the orientation. On my yeah. X100S, I have the horizon line um, overlay on constantly. Yeah. And that helps okay. me tremendously because what I think initially is is horizontal typically isn't. and it, And I'm off. I don't know if my, you know, one eye is like, twisted i don't know if my brain's in backwards i don't know what it is but even when i think i'm being as careful as i can with you know composing the camera i'm always off so i find that having that tool in the camera is probably one of the most probably within the top top five valuable tools to me that a camera can have is having that that confirmation that i'm holding the camera correctly yeah, same here. Mine is always on that the horizon line. I, I have the same problem. I thought it was because, you know, maybe one of my legs was longer than the other or something. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, it turns out that's not the case. But yeah, I had the same issue. You know, you think you really think you nailed it and you think that horizon line is straight and you bring it in the Lightroom or whatever. And, you know, it's off kilter. So, yeah, but yeah, you're right. The, the, the live horizon line helps a heck of a lot. So, David, what, what feature, and this is just a quick hit on this story. This is cool. So we all agree that we want this feature, and we're happy about it. But um, what feature do you feel like, if any, are missing in the software that you use? I mean, you, you say you're not a, not a big Photoshop guy, I mean, I use but, it. Like I said, this more, I use Lightroom and Photoshop, I would say, maybe three, four times a week. Or, oh, so I, I do frequent. use it quite a bit because I love taking pictures, too, yeah, especially of my yeah. kids and stuff like that. So um, what 
What are, what are you editing in uh, when you do your video stuff? Is it Premiere or it's, Final Cut? It, right now it's uh, Premiere Pro, but I'd say 50% of the time now I'm kind of switching over to a, a program that's called Blackmagic uh, Resolve 12.5. It's totally free, and it's amazing. Well, what? any movie that you go see, well, I wouldn't say just about every movie, but a lot of the movies that you go see in you know Hollywood have been colored with this program called Resolve, um, DaVinci Resolve, basically, is what it's called. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's a super powerful coloring tool for video. Um, just fantastic. It's the best one out there that I, I, I believe that's out there. Um, I'm not a professional colorist, but most of the guys that I know that are professional colorists use it. And over the years, what's happened is they're starting to um, add more uh, editing features. And they've been, like the last two or three years, they've been adding more editing features. And they're catching up to Adobe very, very fast. But what's happening on the flip side of things that I'm noticing is that Adobe, even though they're getting our $50 a month every month, they don't seem to be working as hard on the color side. So, you know, like if you're trying to get a secondary color correction, primary, or a U versus U correction, or any of that type of real sophisticated stuff that uh, Resolve has, Premiere doesn't seem to be, because they what they did is they, when I went up to the booth at NAB um, a couple months ago, what was it last month? Yeah, last month. Um, they were basically, I said, what are you doing with the uh, speed grade? And speed grade is their, their kind of answer to, no, I wouldn't say it's answer. They bought speed grade many years ago. And speed grade, they're just letting it languish. They're not doing anything. They're not adding to it. But what they are adding to is the color tab in Premiere Pro. And, but the what the rate at which black magic is developing the editing side is way faster than the the speed at which adobe is creating their color what they call their color tabular metry um, section on the right hand side or wherever you position it near because uh, it's very flexible but um to me i'm more moving over to resolve because i can see what's happening um because they, you know, when I shoot with like the A7S or the A7R, the color is not as as good maybe as um, the Canon cameras that I used to use. So I'm spending more time in the color tab or in the color portion of Resolve. So for me, it's like um, just Adobe needs to work harder <laughs> at their Lumetri color tab to keep up with what's happening with Blackmagic. Blackmagic. It's I, interesting. It's interesting you say that because it seems like you know the other smaller companies are are kind of nipping at Adobe. Like we saw a couple of weeks ago, we did a story about on one reimagining the that, raw processing yeah, that, in, yeah. engine. That was right? great. And Matt yeah, you saw it. Yeah. yeah. And they're yeah. throwing casting, not casting stones. You know, Matt Kluskowski Matt, was on. Matt and, is very, yeah. He's the, yeah, very he was very like, correct. yeah, we're not, like, going, yeah, after we're not going after them. We're not going after We're not doing it. <laughs> It's like pay no attention to the B one bombers that were flying over your <laughs> over your real estate, but we're not coming after you. Uh, but yeah, so they're they're reimagining the the raw processing engine, and then we're looking at Black Magic kind of doubling down from the color perspective on on the Premiere side. And I wonder, you know, is it is Adobe? I don't know. Who knows, right? You know, are they getting yeah, fat I mean, now because I, they have all I this subscription so. revenue coming in. I gotta what? think they are because you know this Australian company that's very small is just kicking out new features left and right on the editing side. Whereas I go over to Adobe, it's like, oh, all right, you gave me like an eyedropper for color, you know, for white balance. That's great, thank you. But where's everything else? I mean, come on, you guys need to 
step it up here because you guys are great on the editing side, but you need to step it on the color side to keep up with these. These guys are giving their software away for free. Now, if you buy, but I mean, uh, in Adobe's defense, though, I mean, maybe they're saying, you know, hey, black, and I'm, I preface this with, with I have no insight into what Adobe's thinking, but Blackmagic Resolve and the people that care about that level, the colorist level of of software. That's a small group compared to the premier audience of YouTubers and, you know, professional level video editors and all these folks. That is their core audience. The smaller audience, maybe they're saying, you know what, if you need that level of, of tweaking and knobs and all that stuff to do to do advanced movie cinema style colorizing, then there's that tool over there. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I think they're to me, I the way I look at it, they're making money hand over fist. You look at their financials, I think they're doing great. And they're just kind of sitting back a little bit. They did great like in the first year of their CC. But it mm -hmm. just feels like in this this last year, it's like, all right, come on, guys. You're, I, I'm expecting more. Because what I'd love to do at this point is, you know, I'll pay the $10 a month for the Lightroom and the Photoshop. But if I can drop everything else, and then I'll just use Resolve as my editing program. And then I'd, I would save myself 40 bucks a month just because, you know, yeah, I would do and it. Resolve, and Resolve is, it's black, what is, what is it called? Black Magic Resolve what? It's called DaVinci Resolve. Um, oh, DaVinci Resolve. No, no the, the editing program is, is DaVinci Resolve. Well, it's both an editing program and a coloring program in one okay. package. So okay. there's different okay. tabs that you tab over. And there's two different versions. There's a light version, or I think it's just called... DaVinci Resolve at this point. Then there's one that's okay. called DaVinci Resolve Studio that costs $1,000. And you get noise reduction and a couple of other small, you know, it's not the, basically the, the light, the free version is like 99% of the stuff that you use. And they, 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 the 1% like noise reduction and a few like lens flares and some other stuff, uh, features that you can add, um, you can get it for like a thousand bucks. And in fact, you can, like what I'm thinking of doing is once I go to the paid version, I'll probably just buy a, go on eBay and buy a, somebody that's selling their dongle because what you have to do is stick it in your computer and I'll just buy it for 500 bucks because a lot of people, it comes with a camera. So if you buy one of their cinema cameras, you get Resolve for free. So a lot of people, oh, wow. what they do is they already own it or they, maybe they don't use it. They just sell the dongle on eBay for 500 bucks. And then, mm. go ahead. I was going to say, um, no, I'm just saying, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's where I'm thinking of going is because uh, to me, I don't know. You, Adobe is a big company and they don't seem to be iterating as fast as a smaller Australian company. What's the learning curve on, on, on the software? Because that's always one of the uh, things that keeps it, me from leaping onto something new. It's, I would say, if you're familiar with any, what do you use? Do you use Final Cut X or do you edit in anything right now? What do you edit in? Premiere. Oh, Premiere. Um, I would say it's going to be a different experience. If I say for the people that are coming from Final Cut X, it's more like that in terms of the editing. Um, that's what I've heard. I'm I'm not a Macintosh person, but that's what I hear from those type of people. Um, but I would say you could pick it up really quick. It's the in their fact the guy that wrote the manual, Alexis Van Herkman, um, he has like multiple trainings that I've taken on ripple training, uh, usually like, I don't know, they're 40 or $50 a piece to watch his like three or four hour tutorial on the new features that have come out and resolve. And they're fantastic. They are 
great. I mean, I have no affiliation with him whatsoever. I, you know, I've only met him in person once at the trade shows, but um, he does a fantastic job. So you could watch one of his like four hour videos and you get up to speed extremely fast. Wow. Yeah, the UI. I'm I'm showing a video uh, from their site now, and it, uh, yeah, it's got a pretty slick, almost avid-looking user interface. It's very clean. It, I like it. Yeah, it's got multicam. It's got it's it's really become what? a full-featured editing platform, and I am surprised more people aren't using it because the color part of it is so um, advanced, and the editing side they're just they're just adding new features left and right. And a lot of them are very and it's intuitive. free. This is what I'm looking yeah. at right now is free. So Adobe should be scared if you ask me, but it it's free. Yeah. You can do wow. it. And, you and this can is Windows, Windows and Mac, obviously, right? It used to be, I believe, and I'm no Resolve expert here, but it used to be that you could only output in 1080. But I think they even got rid of that. I think you can output in 4K now. But I all, I, all I do is output in 1080, so I never even tried to do 4K. But I think you can actually... On the free version, output in 4K now if you wanted to. Oh, okay. Oh, see, there you go again. Now, see, when we started the show, we were talking about little tangents that suck up all of our time. <laughs> 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 and now here we go. Now, you know, Frederick will spend two weeks learning this new piece of software. <laughs> this looks fantastic, man. Look at this. Okay, cool. This yeah. would have been your pick of the week. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, there you go. Well, you can still make it your pick of the week. No, I got something else. Yeah. But I, I really, if you're interested in it, um, that training that Alexa Van Herkman's got is great. I've taken every one of his courses. I'll, as soon as it comes out, I buy it. Because <laughs> every time That's I cool. watch it, I learn something new. And he's he's great at what he does. He's fantastic. And what was the name of that site? The training site? Where those it's, it's called Ripple Training. And oh, it, Ripple. Yeah. It, okay. I think that's all the Mac guys over there. I don't even know yeah. what, who they are. But um that as an offshoot, they've done some of this DaVinci Resolve training. And if you just go search Alexis Van Herkman or Ripple training, you'll find it. Um, I, excellent, excellent. I, I can't, I, again, I have no affiliation with him whatsoever, but I watch all of his stuff. And he's got one of the best selling books on um, color grading out there. I, I own it. it. I don't even know what the title is, but I've read it all the way through. It's fantastic. Well, you got to say, I mean, that's a huge endorsement. The guy who runs Learning DSLR Video oh, yeah. endorsing this, yeah, this yeah. nonlinear uh, editor. So It's <laughs> great. Gotta... It's fantastic. And it's free. And it's free. I got yeah, to think that, you know, Adobe's got to be like scratching their head. How do we compete with free? You know, <laughs> but yeah, I know. And we're, yeah. they're not keeping up on the color side of things, which is becoming increasingly important with these Sony cameras. Especially uh -huh. with like yeah, S log two and S log three and all these LUTs that you have to deal with and oh man, yeah. It gets complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Well cool. Now I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna download that right after the show. Thank you. Um a very next Perillo. So things things that are missing in your your software workflow. So we have this content aware crop coming, this feature coming. What's missing for you that you're like, come on, Adobe? Like, you know, Dave's talking about the whole color, the color set that's missing out of Premiere. What's missing for you in your workflow that you wish they would do? Oh, it's a common complaint that everybody has. Faster. Lightroom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Painfully I, I, slow. Yes. I, I yeah. swear to God, I, anytime I'm loading images, I, I'm not even shooting that much. I'm shooting with a 16 megapixel camera. And I may have like maybe 30 or 40 shots I made that day. And I'm sitting there 
you know, growing my beard. All this thing is, all this thing is importing, converting the DNG, you know. And I've I've done all my preferences to sort of minimize, you know, you know, my computer having to go through all this, you know, all this, yeah. you know. I've learned all the tricks, and it's still painfully slow. And you're on a your computer's. I'm assuming is a fast computer with decent RAM in it and all that. Start on RAM. The computer is three years old, but still, it, it's like I'm using something out of, you know, a Tandy 2000. I feel like <laughs> it's such a it's such a, a TRS 80. <laughs> right, and I can't imagine being if I was really doing some really important work, like say for a client, and to have to sit here, and have to just wait and wait and wait. You know, I, I'm doing um, a wedding. I rarely do weddings, but. I'm doing a wedding next month, and it's just like when I think about, you know, the amount of time I'm going to be sitting in front of this computer just waiting is going to be very, very aggravating. I mean, I have a Mac, uh, a Mac Pro 2, you know, but I don't want to do all that work on on the laptop. But if it's, if it's, if it's slow enough, I may just have to, you know, in, install my uh, external hard drive on there and just work from there just so I don't, you know... If I had hair, I'd probably pull it out. But <laughs> I'll have to agree there too because I once I got the A7R2 with 42 megapixels, I, and, and I have got a very very powerful machine. I actually had ASUS come into my house and we built it together. It's like you know Jeez. 64 gig of RAM. I've got like five SSDs in there designated for every different thing. I've got eight cores. And it's just Jeez, it's got that guy. a GTX you know 980. When you do 4K video, you got to have something really powerful. And even with the you know the 42 megapixel coming off the A7, I was just doing some images this morning, and it's like you wait, come on, come on, you're almost there, come on, there you are. You know that kind <sighs> of and it really breaks your flow of creativity when you're going from image to image to see you know, which one do you want to choose? I mean, there's, a, like you said, there's different ways you can set it up so it's a bit more streamlined. But I know, what was it, a couple of weeks ago, you were talking to Sharky James or whatever, and you made yeah. you made the comment that you didn't think it was slow. And I was thinking, wow, maybe you have an amazing computer or you're using, like, like two megapixel files or something. You or, know, I'm I'm like a very next 16 megapixel micro four thirds, and I'm on, a, I'm on an off-the-rack uh, 5K iMac, that's all. So, but you're not having problems? Not really. No, no. Not well, maybe so. you just slow, Fred. Maybe that's it. Maybe you just yeah, slow headed. That's yeah. what I was <laughs> going to say. Maybe it's just, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm trying to keep up with the computer because I'm slow. I don't know. <laughs> you guys are just so smart. You're just moving too fast. And I'm like, where, where is this? Why is there buttons in front of my TV? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dave, Dave, I got to tell you, man, um, now you've distracted me from recording my show because I'm watching this video in another window of DaVinci Resolve. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what? It looks fantastic. <laughs> they have some slick marketing. So, I mean, they're up there with Apple in terms of how they market their products. They do a fantastic job. So, yeah, I could see you get sucked into yeah. that. I just like the way the UI looks. It looks very clean yes, and, yes. and uncluttered. It's very nice. Huh. Ah, okay. That's there goes my Monday night. All right, guys. We are gonna we're gonna table story number three uh, for another show. Uh, but when we come back, we're gonna answer a question from one of our listeners. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Vietnam. 
This November, I'm taking 11 people on an exclusive adventure in Vietnam, starting from Hanoi and ending in Saigon. We'll be making photos, exploring, and eating some amazing food for 10 days in wonderful Southeast Asia. To get more details or to sign up, just head over to twip.pro slash Vietnam. That's twip.pro slash Vietnam. And remember, we're only taking a total of 11 people on this once-in-a-lifetime adventure, so sign up now. And if you have any questions about this trip, you can contact me directly through the contact form on the TWIP website. All right, guys, we are back periodically on This Week in Photo. We answer a question that has come in from one of the TWIP army. This week, we're going to answer a question from Zach about event photography. So essentially is a long question here, but the summary is he essentially he's going out with his GH4, his Lumix GH4, and he's going to be shooting group shots indoors at night. (laughs) So... Um, and I have some thoughts about that. So the summary is, there's three parts to this question. He wants advice for, for shooting indoor photography at nights of groups. Second part is lens suggestions for indoor night photography of groups. And then the third part is, uh, should he use a flash with a diffuser? If so, which diffuser should he use? Barry next, what do you think? You're about to, you're about to hit a wedding and, uh, you're going to, you may be shooting indoor photography of groups at night. What do you think? Um, for me, it's definitely going to require the use of a flash, mm-hmm. um, as good of a flash as he can get a built-in flash, uh, on, on the camera. It's not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would probably be shooting an ISO 800 and, uh, have a moderate, moderate aperture of probably about five, six, maybe F8, depending on how large the group and how far he, he has to be. Well, he's actually using a GH4, so that might play into it. So it's a micro. Four yeah, thirds. that's definitely. Yeah, yeah it was, it's not not the best in in low light, especially when you compare it with Dave's A7S. If you have an A7S, right? well, probably then yeah. 400. I'd still recommend not shooting too low. Shoot as high as ISO as, as you can, just mm-hmm. because that gives your flash a little more range, as opposed to shooting it at sort of at the base um, base ISO. And as far as using a, a diffuser, I think that's probably sort of a good idea. I mean, there's so many different di- diffusers. If you go back old school, I mean, what I used was an index card in a rubber band. There you go. I use that too. I use that too. And it works. And it works in a pinch, man. I mean, it works in, to nice, nicely to sort of avoid the direct harsh flash look. Um, you can LumaQuest, uh, you know, Gary Fong. There are all these kind of diffusers all of which they have their advantages. But um, I just would say just shop around, see which one gives you the look that you want and the portability that you want. But mm-hmm. most importantly, give your chance to, give yourself a chance to actually go out and use them. Because regardless of what choice you're going to make, you're going to have to get used to get accustomed to it, especially yeah. with the light loss that you're going to likely experience, which is, you know, you're probably going to lose about two stops of light, which is one of the reasons I, I recommend increasing the ISO in order to make up for that for that light loss and hopefully it'll give you some some uh ambient light registering on the images rather than allowing the background to go completely to black because mm-hmm. for me I, there's nothing worse for me than flash shots where the the people are properly illuminated but everything behind them is just black blackness yep yep love it love it good advice and so, and I'll take the second one. So GH4 lens suggestions for indoor night photography of groups. 
Um, a lens that I love that I have for my micro four thirds system is a 12 to 35 from Lumix. So, uh, you know, it's a good multi-purpose general lens, especially if you don't know exactly what you're going to be doing. So you want that zoom range and it's fast enough. This is F two eight. So you can get those, those, uh, you know, the, the, uh, ISO and aperture settings that a Barian X is suggesting a 2.8 would be good for that. So I would suggest that it's a Lumix, uh, 2.8, 12 to 35. Check that out. It's not the cheapest lens in the world, but it's glass and it's, you know, it's good glass. So it's going to, if you, as long as you stay in the micro four thirds system, it's going to last you, you know, throughout several camera iterations. So definitely check that out. Dave, what about you? Any thoughts on this on the indoor night photography? I used to own a GH4 and he talks about doing uh, it's a convention and I've been to, I've shot at conventions before, I, you know, I've shot lots of pictures with groups and stuff like that. And now the GH4, if you're shooting even at like, you know, F 2.8, which is the lowest that 12 to 35 will go, that's kind of more like a 5.6. So and it depends how large your group is. You know, if you were shooting at F4, that's kind of like an F8 in a way, mm -hmm. in full frame mm -hmm. speak. Um, you're going to have more depth of field to play with. So you're going to get everybody sharp maybe. I don't know what if it's a line of people or how he's doing. Or if it, maybe, maybe he needs the 70, to, what is it, 35 to 100, which yeah. is like a 70 to 200 equivalent if he's shooting a panel, let's say. In that case, your flash might not reach, and you know maybe you want to uh, bring some things in your you know pocket, like a, a little pocket tripod, and set it on the table because a lot of those conferences they'll have a head table, and then you'll be in the uh, in the seating area. Maybe he can set that on the table and get a nice, um, nice steady shot, as long as they're not moving too much. But uh, right, um, because right. you have the whole thing with maybe the flash not reaching if you're shooting a long way away. But again, you know the stuff that I've done. Um, I've usually used a full frame camera and not a GH4. Um, As I was going to say, it's like the right tool for the right job. Yeah. And for a situation like this where you know light is going to be an issue. Yeah. Like, I've been in these situations where I'm like, oh, I love my camera system, but man, if I had that A7S right now, life would be so much easier. And you could, <laughs> you almost, yeah, you could almost use available light to your advantage. Oh, you know, you could absolutely, yeah. depending on the environment, you could absolutely. I've seen shots in darkness that look great with that A7S. One of, so, the, one of the tips I would give him that I think that's really sets uh, photographers that do conventions apart from other ones is now um, a really concentrate on getting the right white balance and colors because you're going to get a lot of mixed lighting. It could be fluorescent lights. It could be a mixture of like tungsten with fluorescence. It could be all over the map, but mm -hmm. I would almost, you know, after you shoot, maybe take your X-Rite color check or whatever it is and put it into the light that they were sitting in and just take a quick pick of it. And then when you go home and process that, those colors um, and just nail it, I think that'll set your pictures apart from anybody else. If you nail the exposure or nail the white balance and get all the colors correct. Cause those, conferences are usually the toughest lighting because they're all over the map. You know, that you look up in the ceiling and like the janitor put like a white, you know, daylight tube next to like a, a warm tube and they're in the same, you know, and what do you do? I mean, they're all, are you going to set it to warm fluorescent or cool fluorescent? What are you going to do? Because the colors really, really matter. I would say matter more than the noise you're going to get from the GH4. <laughs> and I would say yeah. if you're shooting with the GH4, don't go above 1600, just keep it like you know 800 or less if you can yeah. but i don't like yeah. those type he was talking about i don't like the type of shots where you light up the subject so much that everything in the background just falls to black you know right. it's just like yeah that doesn't look good either so i'd ra rather have a full frame camera and use a lot of that available light if you could 
Yeah. Yeah. Love it. So diffuser wise, um, I had a suggestion. I was having a conversation earlier this week with a friend of mine, Kevin Kubota. He's a, he's a very well-known wedding shooter and he has a product out with, um, that I, I don't know how old this is, but it's been around maybe less than a year. Um, it's called the Luna grip. I'm going to share it on the screen here. Um, but essentially what it is, it's a, it's a modifier for your flash for a handheld strobe that you put on and you, it sort of mounts inside this ring that you, you hold. And then in front of the strobe is a, uh, is a diffuser, a circular diffuser. And it looks really cool. I ordered one and I have it sitting here in the bag. I haven't opened it up yet, but looking at the videos and the site, it looks amazing. So it looks pretty cool. And the way he describes it and some of the shots that you can get with it are pretty cool. Now, this probably wouldn't work for groups, obviously, but for on-the-fly portraits and things where you don't want to pack your your trunk full of stuff, it makes a lot of sense. So definitely check that out. All right. So, uh, Barry Next, any thoughts on, you know, I know you talked about the Gary Fong thing and all that. Is it... Uh, you know, have you looking at this Luna grip? Is this something that you might use, or would you use something else for this situation? What it looks think? interesting. I mean, if you have an assistant, then it looks great because it's not something you can practically use by yourself. Um, mm -hmm. But it, you know, I've, I've, um, you know, whatever way. I mean, one of the things that's being addressed here is the is the importance of getting something off camera, which is something mm -hmm. we haven't really sort of talked about. Right. Uh, but. Right. Uh, even though I like off-camera flashing, that's the way I usually work. Um, considering the, what the question is, I wouldn't even brave complicating things by dealing with diffusion and off-camera flash. You know, it's mm -hmm. just like you know, just 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 deal with diffusion for now and get comfortable with just doing that. Um, there's plenty of stuff and reviews out there on on a variety of different diffusers, and it's been so long since I went out and was in the market for one. Um, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to tell you what what's what are good options currently. I mean, I have the original OG uh, Gary Fong Lightspear, you know, nice. and I know he's probably getting yellow now, isn't it? <laughs> well, he, you know, it still works, and he's improved the design. Uh, the collapsible one is really attractive, just because you know it's easier to to store. Yeah. Um, and but I've seen the ones that LumaQuest uh, has offered, and it's all variations on the same theme in terms of. You know, you tilt the flash up and you just have something to catch in the light and throw it forward. Um, I think if anything I can recommend is, is go to the store and check it out and just be and just think about how easy is it to store? Because I think that's the one caveat about all of these diffusers, regardless of, you know, which one you choose is when you're not using it. How easy, easy it is to, to pack it away and store it without it taking up too much space, especially when you're trying to keep your kit to a minimum. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. All right, uh, guys, we're going to move on to the Picks of the Week segment. Um, but let's jump into the Picks of the Week. Uh, Barry next. Oh, I see your pick. Oh, this is good. I have something to add to that. So what's your what's your Pick of the Week? Well, I actually added one as part of our conversation here. So my first one goes back to what we were talking about before. I talked about how I meditate in the morning. And there's a phone app. Uh, called Meditation Oasis. There, uh, there, there are a couple that um, provide a bunch of like CDs and downloads for meditation, but they also have an app available for Android and for uh, Apple iOS. And I love the woman's voice. 
Um, it's very, very soothing. And the great thing about it is that you can uh, change your choice of music or you can make ambient sounds like the, the ocean or on the forest. And you yeah. can set it for durations of 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And every morning, um, that's what I use in terms of being able to meditate in the morning. Or if I'm in crisis <laughs> and I just need to sort of chill out, I will just put on my headphones and listen to those. And it's only like two ninety nine. Well, you know what? That's that's awesome meditation oasis app. But you know what's even better? What people could do for free? They could just put on the candid frame and listen to Baron X. <laughs> they could listen to Baron X Perillo's voice on the candid frame and, you know, get a similar result. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I highly recommend that for anyone who's considering um, um, incorporating meditation into their lives. But the thing that I had put down initially was a Fuji Love magazine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tomash. Uh, I, forget, I forget what country he's in. He's somewhere in, you know, I think, in, in Europe or. He, yeah, he, yeah. I'm not sure because he's somewhere over there with bad bandwidth last time I talked to him. <laughs> yeah, but he's been doing an amazing job with his site, uh, Fuji Love. Uh, it's, yep. a, it's a website, a blog, and he started a magazine and he's creating sort of this online resource for people who use Fuji cameras. And uh, I've been contributing to the, the last three issues of the magazine. And, I saw uh, your name in there. Yeah, yeah, and I just looked at it, and I just really am amazed at the diversity and the quality of the content that he's getting. And he's got me. He's got Valerie. Uh, I think wrote an article. Uh, Ted Vieira. Yeah. Uh, yep. You know, a bunch of other people. And I'm looking at it and going, you know, considering that this guy just got started producing this kind of content, and the fact that it's the quality that that's there is just a yeah. testament to his dedication to it and just the yeah. and just the fact that we have the technology now that someone can start a magazine and from the get go produce something that's as polished as Isn't that crazy? That is so great. Yeah, he and I are meeting uh Friday. We're meeting Friday to talk about stuff. So, yeah, that is exciting. Yeah, it's uh it's it's interesting and really encouraging that there's so much power and the barriers to entry to doing cool stuff are so low now that people that have the talent and the desire to serve these niche areas can do it, right? Without 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 barriers and without asking permission. You can just do it and and build a giant audience and suddenly you're a media property. It's amazing. Yeah, and there's and there's just so much crap out there, for lack of a better word. And it's just yeah. nice to see somebody who's really passionate about it, but who's really dutiful about just making sure that it's as good as it can be. And I think it's, it's. Uh, I, I don't hesitate at all to promote it and share it with other people, not just because I'm contributing to the magazine, but just because I think yeah. if you're a Fuji if lover... You're a Fuji, it's a, if you're a Fuji shooter, there's, you know, this is a great resource for you. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, cool. Thanks for that. And the Meditation Oasis app as well. We'll link to that. Dave Dugdale, what about you, man? What is your pick of the week? Um, faster SD cards. Um, so, oh. so when you're shooting 4K video, you uh, and you have like a 64 gig card, um, and you transfer it with like if you were not to use a card reader and you were transfer it using like the Sony, and it's got a USB 2 interface. I don't know why they don't put a USB 3 interface. It'll take you about 45 minutes to transfer that. Now, if you get a faster card, like a 95 uh, meg card from like SanDisk, it'll take you 15 minutes. So you've already saved like a half hour. You could be editing a half hour more because you're not waiting for the card to transfer. Well, now 
I don't even know how new these cards are. I said new-ish, but this one is not 95, but this one is 280 meg. Um, so yeah, you're showing it right there. Thank you. Now, yeah. these cards, the, the one thing I got this card in, I was like, oh, this is gonna be great. It's gonna be great speed. So I put it in, I did a speed test, a synthetic speed test with my card reader and it was like 45 meg. I was like, wait a minute, I should be getting well over 200 on this. And it turns out if you have a older, I don't even, it's UHS-1 card reader like I have, it's actually mm -hmm. going to use not all the pins. And if I don't know if your viewers can see it, but you see it has two sets of rows of pins. So you need a yeah. UHS-2 card reader. And then all of a sudden it's blindingly fast. So instead of that, you know, 64 gig card taking 45 minutes with your USB or 15 minutes with your other card, this one will take even less. I haven't even timed it wow. yet, but I know it's way less because it's like, whoa, that was fast, you know? Wow. And so, you know, for me, what the big thing about it is though, is I started thinking about, oh, wait a minute, if this card reader is going slow, does my camera go slow? And it obviously mm -hmm. can record 45 or 4K footage, no problem. But then I started, well, what about a, like a raw burst? If I just hold it down and let it go, you know, that kind of thing, a multi-burst. Um, it took 23 pictures um, before the buffer hit uh, on this card. And it took 23, I think the same exact number with my 95 meg card. So that wasn't an issue. So if anybody's going in to get faster cards for speed, like you're shooting 4K footage like do, and you want to get offload extremely fast, um, get these cards, but also remember you got to get um, a better, if, you're, if your uh, card reader is older, you're going to need a newer card reader. And they're only like 15, yeah. 15 bucks. The one I bought was like 18 bucks, yeah, from Kingston. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the issue. That's one of the issues with buying hardware like my 5K iMac with a built-in SD reader in there, right? It's always going to be the older version of the SD reader. And as things advance, I still have the old SD reader. So, But I can just plug one in and, you know, like you said, just buy a third-party one and keep going. That's cool. All right. Something else to buy. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I mean, but, you know, in all seriousness these cards are the weak link these are not the weak link but the one of the most important pieces of that chain you buy these amazing cameras that can do all this crazy stuff and then you skimp on the cards right so you know especially if you're starting to do 4k stuff and time is money like the barry and x and that wedding he's shooting you know his computer's already <laughs> chugging along and then you're gonna spend time an hour you know up downloading all your stuff these make a lot of sense hey i have a quick question for both of you have any of you yeah. got i don't know what cards you guys shoot on but have you ever had one go bad uh i shoot on sandisk but i did buy some sony cards because i saw them on amazon for it was like some ridiculous 32 gigabyte fast cars for some ridiculously low price. So I bought a bunch of them uh, before I went to Vietnam last year. Um, one of them, and it was the first time I ever had a card fail. One of them just kind of disintegrated. I don't know, you know, I was putting it in my camera and it kind of sp split at the seams um, that I was able to get all my stuff off of it. And then I just chucked it and let it, you know, let it go. But other than that, I haven't had a problem with, with any cards and I haven't lost any data. Barry Next, what about you? I've had dozens of cards, and I think I only had a problem once. So mm -hmm. I probably had two dozen, two or three dozen cards that I've used, you know, that's regularly. Kind of, so yeah, yeah and I've always experience as well. Yeah, and I've used, I, but I've always used either SanDisk 
And Sandic yeah. is the one they use primarily now. At one point, I was using uh, Lexar, but uh, mm-hmm. all my cards now are, are, are Sandisk Extreme Pro cards. And um, yeah, and knock on wood, I haven't had any. Yeah, I've only had one failure, and it was really a really odd failure. I, I emailed them, and they're like, they had me run a bunch of tests, and they're like, yep, it's bad. It's just like, and we'll send you a new one. Boom. I had a new one like in like four or five days. They sent one in the mail, and it was great. The customer service was great, and I was like, oh, it's great. So I only had one bad one out of, like you said, I probably have over the years bought maybe a couple dozen of those type of cards. So, you know, back when they were like only four gig, and then they went to 16, and they're 64. Yeah. But I wonder about those. I wonder, is there is there a point where you should just chuck them? You know, or do you just keep them, keep you, shooting them until they fail? You know, what's, I what's pretty the... much I because ha- of the the stuff that I do, I have to have like the fastest cards. So the old ones just collect dust. Yeah, I might as well just throw them out because I can't use them for anything for video wise. It, it would, they would laugh, the codex would laugh at me, <laughs> like you're gonna put that <laughs> card in here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's gonna last about two seconds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was cleaning up my office and I found a wallet with like 256 megabytes. And I'm going, and a bunch of <laughs> <laughs> 256 megabytes. megabytes. Like, oh, wow. What can I use this for? Nothing. You could yeah, <laughs> put a picture on it and you know, put it behind the frame. Store some secret data on it and put it behind a picture frame or something. Now you can glue it to an envelope and pretend it's a stamp almost. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, or just throw it away. It's worth nothing. All right, cool. All right, the SanDisk 280 megabyte or 280 megabyte per second card and 64, 32, and what's the biggest one those? I think in? it's up to 256 now, isn't it? Is it 256? I think wow. so. It's crazy, crazy. All right, guys, real quick, my pick of the week is um, this uh, trip that I'm doing again this November. I'm heading out to Vietnam and taking about 11 people with me. I went last year. It was fantastic uh, but i'm going again this year in november i'll be in vietnam we'll celebrate my birthday in vietnam on the streets of hanoi so come hang out with me you can check out the details for that at twip.pro slash vietnam and uh or just you know hit me up through the twip contact form if you have any questions about it i'll uh, i'll fill you in and let you know what's going on but again we're only taking 11 people and i th- think we're about half full right now so or half empty depending on your perspective um so uh yeah check it out and let me know if you have questions on that so are you got what camera or cameras are you going to take this time i am taking my i'm taking my lumix cameras again so i'm taking my my gx8 uh as my primary i'll probably take the g7 if something else new hasn't come out before then i might take a gx85 if i get one so those are the two main cameras i'm taking with me um, but I'm also bringing my my uh, Phantom Three. Oh, cool! So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm bringing the Phantom to Vietnam. Look out! That's cool. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, those, and I'll I'll bring that guy to the uh, the Osmo, the DJI Osmo that will go out with me. So, gonna have a good time. Gonna have a good time. Gonna make lots of images. We're gonna do some cool stuff on the streets of Vietnam, like some cinemagraphs and long exposures and. You know, we'll be shooting 4K video and demonstrating frame extraction and all kinds of crazy stuff. So it's going to be fun, along with lots of good food, you know, in, in many cities in Vietnam. So good way to end the year, I think. Really good way to end the year. 
All right, guys. Speaking of endings, we're at the end of this show. A Barry and X Perillo of the Candid Frame. Where can people go to check you out? Uh, they can go to thecandidframe.com, and there they'll find some great interviews. We've had some fantastic interviews. Uh, David Helen Harvey, who's a, a National Geographic photographer who was on my short, short list for the longest time. We finally landed him on the show. And uh, also Arthur Meyerson, a wonderful color uh, editorial and commercial photographer um, who's just phenomenal. Um, and uh, so definitely check uh, check it out. They can go to thecandidframe.com. And I'm in the midst of my uh, Patreon effort to help Oh. Uh, you know, promote and fund the the show. We got some big plans for the for the coming year. So if people like what they hear on the show, uh, they can contribute as little as two dollars uh, on a monthly basis. And uh, even though it's just two bucks, it goes a long way to helping us uh, do the work that we do at the Candid Frame. So check and it out. How's it going? Because we were we're toying with doing something similar like that for for this week in photo. How's it going for, uh, uh, it's, for it's, the Candid Frame? Two weeks so far that we've been doing it. So, uh, yeah, I'm getting, uh, progressing and, and getting more people to sign up. I think it's just, you know, kind of repetition. It's kind of like NPR, you know, mm-hmm. how they sort of go through and they have to pitch over and over and remind people. Because a lot of yep. people have the intention of doing it, but they don't get around to. So the old idea is like, hey, just keep just keep plugging it. I'm, I'm going to be doing it for six weeks. Uh, and, you know, and, but then I'll probably do it like once a year. You know, do a real big push, but I've gotten some. I got some um, some real big names for the next couple of weeks in terms of photographers. One of which is is probably was in my top five list, and uh, I'm not going to say who yet. But um, but if people start listening tell, to the show, they will see. Patrons. Only tell your patrons. Who they <laughs> But you know, so with, with the big Patreon works, though, you can when people donate at different levels, they get certain things. Like, yeah. what are some of the things that people can get when they donate to the candy Oh uh, well, we got some. Um, they're pretty modest for right now. I mean, if they give at the five dollar level, they'll be getting an ebook that I'm in the midst of writing now. Uh, so, uh, for that, and if they give at the ten dollar level, they get to be uh, uh, considered a uh, producer on the show. So they'll get an actual name credit for for the show. Mm-hmm. And then uh, up at the, uh, I think it's the twenty twenty five dollar um, level. What is that? Um, yeah, I, I forget. I forget what that is. Twenty five but... twenty five bucks at this level, you get all the rewards of the other levels. Uh, and wait, wait. Let's say you get a monthly. Wait, wait, wait. I can't. Wait, is it? Oh, voice. Oh, you're gonna do a customized voicemail greeting. Yes, that's right. What? That's a voicemail greeting. I want that. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of cool. And the, and the fifty dollar level, they'll, they'll, I'll, I'll do a half an hour um, Skype chat where I, I talk to. The, I'll talk to them. I'll basically do a portfolio review of a body yeah. of work or, or something like that. So, you know, um, hopefully That's within cool. a year when things have taken off, I'll be able to do this again and have more substantive, you know, uh, gifts that I can give yeah. like T-shirts or mugs and things like that. But right now we're kind of bare bones. For the most part, so we're trying to make it. What I don't want to make the mistake of of some people who make promises or things that they want to fulfill, and then they yeah. don't do it just because it becomes right. overwhelming. So I'm trying to be really upfront that that you know when they donate to the show, what they're really getting is they're going to help to improve the quality of the show, especially with respect to audio quality. It's going to help me expand the content of the YouTube channel because I have some real things that I want to do with that as well. And uh, it's just going to give me the flexibility of time 
to be able to interview uh, photographers on location because that's one of the things that I've always wanted to do. Like when I go to New York or I go to Seattle, I want to interview some photographers in person because there's a, there's a completely different dynamic when you're interviewing someone in person as opposed to doing it over Skype. And there's, some, and there's some photographers who I've always wanted to talk to and, you know, and I want to do it in person. But, you know, I've been talking to my wife and we just decided even if we don't have the money coming in, we're going to start flying out there and doing it anyway. And we're just going to, you know, if that's, if, if that's, if that's what I want, then instead of just waiting for this sort of moment to sort of happen where I get permission, it's like, screw it. I'm just going to go out there. We'll find the money somehow. And, um, so I've got trips to Seattle, um, and to New York planned and Miami, uh, this year. And so we're going to be recoordinating uh, different photographers to interview, um, when we go to those locations, uh, we're doing other things, you know, we're vacationing when we're doing, you know, personal stuff. Yeah, but absolutely. part of that is like every time I go to a trip, I got to get at least two interviews while I'm out there. And then hopefully That's people will, will believe enough in what we're doing to say, we want to be a part of that and, and help us. So Patreon, uh, if you, if they go to patreon.com forward slash the candid frame, uh, they'll be able to contribute whatever they can, uh, to the show each month. Awesome. And we'll, we'll definitely link over to that for you in the, in the show notes. I'm copying the URL right now and putting it in. That's cool, man. Congratulations. Yeah. And good and best of luck with that. Appreciate it. Cool. And you have a, you have in the street photography ebook you have listed here. Is that the one that you're working on right now? Uh, No, that's the one that's already out there. So people can sign up for our mailing list to get updated on all the things that we're doing. And we send out a a free uh, ebook on street photography that I, that I wrote a little while back. Very cool. All right. Cool. We'll link to that as well. And thanks for coming on, man. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. it. My pleasure, man. It's always a good time. Yeah, likewise. And Mr. Doug Dale, what's coming up with you, man? Um, I just finished my Sony A7S2 course. It's on sale, so that's yeah. totally done. And I'm going to start, actually, I'm going to probably go out and buy the A6300X and perhaps make a course on that one, too. But I've got lots of other stuff coming up this summer. Um, that's not course related, just out shooting, which is, I mean, I produce a lot of YouTube videos. I produce other videos and then I create my courses, um, when I have time <laughs> or I block, and which or course I block is that? out the new time. one. The new one is the A7S2. Yeah. It's the A7S2. It's a six hour course. Finally done. It took me like three, four months to do. Yeah. There it is right there. There it is. Wow. Look at that. And you're, you're, I guess uh, no one could say you're not meticulous when you do this. <laughs> you are. <laughs> I try to test every single thing, so it takes you know months to do. And I, you know, I've gotten some really good you know unsolicited testimonials already, and it's only been on sale for I don't know maybe four or five days. Wow, that is great. This is great. You're like the like we, like when, what was it a couple of years ago? Was it NAB? I interviewed you. Yeah. Was it NAB? I think it, yeah, I think it yeah. was two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, and back then you were the man when it came to doing this. Now you're just a demigod or something. No, <laughs> you, know, you know what's funny about it is nobody else is doing it. I mean, I am the only one doing it on a per camera by per camera basis on the video side of things. There's tons of stuff, I'm sure, uh, camera by camera on the still side, but not on the video side. So I don't really have any competition in that way. Sort of, maybe mm-hmm. not really, but um, yeah. yeah, so... 
I'm the only one maybe dumb enough doing it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I, I would not say that. That's cool, man. Congratulations. That's like I said, you're an inspiration to us as well. Cause you've been, you've been, you should like write a book on how to do this stuff. Cause you, when we first started talking, you were telling me that you actually coded your whole site yourself. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. That was yeah. Yeah, one of the other sites that I had. Yeah. And I ended up selling. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, you, been, it's been a yeah. fun ride. Yeah. The guy's the real deal. The real deal. <laughs> so you're working on the A6300 course now, I or think, is that one done? No, I, I haven't even purchased it yet, so I'll probably buy that in the next week or two and start on that one. Just start testing it and just start using it before I even get into like you know shooting the course. So I'll probably use it for a couple of months before I even start on the course. And that's what's cool about your stuff, because you're, you're not sponsored by Sony or... Or there's no like, oh, I can't talk about this feature because it doesn't work that well. Let me let me pump these Tim pole features that they have. You're you're pretty genuine when it when when you the good and the bad, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah, I point out a lot of and in fact I sent my whole entire course, I just sent it to my contact over at Sony and he started watching it. He was like, Oh, this is great. He says, You mind if I send this to the engineers? I was like, go for it because you know, make because I and during the course I'll say like why are they doing this this way? And the menu system is so screwed up because this makes no sense. It's over here. And this, and, you know, I was making some points like, yeah, you got some valid points. So we're going to send it over to the engineers. And like, yeah, that'd be great. If any yeah. of my input. Can you, can you just tell them to go and just like go to wherever the whiteboard is, where they, where they <laughs> create the UI is, yeah. and erase that whole whiteboard and start, and start again. again. Steal somebody else's UI if they have to. <laughs> These great cameras, it's like this, like a great Tesla, but with a DOS OS. Oh, yeah. you know? <laughs> I mean, it's just like little things, like you know, they'll put an icon next to a photography only item, right? And well, it'll be yeah. next to rotate. Like, okay, I can rotate an image, you know, you want it to rotate or not rotate, like in, in a still image, but you can't do that in video. So why don't you, there was no icon, why don't you put the icon in front of it? Or, you know, gray it out when I'm in the video mode. To or, keep you on know. your toes, consumer, <laughs> you got to stay on your toes. <laughs> that kind of stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. Well, congratulations on all your success. Thanks. It's, uh, it's, it's very inspirational. All right, guys. Uh, we are at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo, episode 467. I want to thank our sponsors for their support of this show and remind folks to please check out the brand new TWIP school. We're very happy how that's going. I think as I record this, we're up to like 2,200 students in the school, which is insane. So very happy about that. And check out our website where you may be watching this episode at. It's at thisweekinphoto.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and, of course, YouTube, where you can comment, like, and subscribe. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. Weekend Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.